all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason, you. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. This is Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit on MPB Think Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Josie Bidwell, Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine and Nurse Practitioner at UMMC. Joining me in the studio today, I have Dr. Danny Reich, who is a professor of pharmacy practice, also at UMMC. And we're going to be talking about diabetes today. You know, it's the perfect thing to follow up Valentine's Day and all that candy with a, with a talk about diabetes. And so we're happy to answer your questions today about diabetes. Our number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one 672 Good morning, Danny. Good morning. Thanks for having me back, Jersey. Oh, always. And it's, you know, lovely weather today that we're having. Yes. Yeah. You know, in the winter, it's 75 degrees. Yeah. So we're, we're still figuring out what, the, what this afternoon will be when we go outside. But uh, tell me a little bit about what uh, a professor of pharmacy practice, what's that mean and what do you do at UMC? Uh, well, uh, over at UMC, my, my role has been since about 12, 14 years, something along those lines, to help treat patients who have metabolic complications. Uh, diabetes predominates, of course, in uh, in Mississippi. And so uh, that's one of the things I do. Um, some of the other things are related to wellness, uh, insulin management via telemedicine. Um, we've recently opened a gout clinic, which is an interesting thing. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's very interesting through rheumatology. Um, and that's been cool. So I've been, I've, I, uh, I work for the school pharmacy and then I, uh, cross over with the department of medicine in my clinical duties. Uh, and some of the other things I've done include research. We've done randomized controlled trials, placebo trials, some of the big diabetes studies, um, that have come through, mm-hmm. uh, what was formerly our clinical research program. Uh, or center over there, um, and it just things along those lines. Uh, it's it's a it's it's really rewarding, of course, because this is kind of what I wanted to do, right. uh, and so that's why I like talking to Mississippians. And I hope people call today so we can uh, chat a little bit. It, it, and don't be embarrassed about your disease. That's something that happens a lot, yeah. especially with with men. They don't like admitting uh, things. <laughs> I, I am one, I know, uh, and so. Uh, call and, and let's chat through, not just like, we can talk about all your medicines. We, there's a lot of new ones that have come out. Oh too. yeah. And that's something we definitely want to talk yeah. about because they're all na- They all start with a T. All, like, yeah, I don't do. know what is going there, on, but they all start with a T. There are a ton. Of, and, and we've known this for, a, it's been about an eight year period of boom in the diabetes uh, medicine market where new medicines over the next, last eight years have just, uh, I, at a historic rate mm. been produced. And, and that's coming off of a time period where it was just metformin, insulin, sulfonylureas for a very mm. long time. Um, and now the focus in diabetes is more, is less so just sugar related and more so looking at the whole cardiovascular picture. Yes. Very important. And that, that was due to some trials that happened in the, I think it was late 2000s, um, that actually demonstrated just doing sugar isn't quite that much enough. 
right? Absolutely. And now we have new studies that show certain drugs might actually improve things just on their own. It's a very interesting time in diabetes. And um, that's why that's why I think your audience would be a great one. I, I mean, diabetes doesn't really exist in Mississippi, as you know. Oh, uh, no, yeah. no, never and, see any. Uh, it's not like we're number one in the country. Uh, <laughs> and it's just um, that it affects so many people. It affects people's families. Yeah. It's a lifestyle disease. It's not just a, a, a medicine disease. And it's progressive. It doesn't really go away. So it's something that you have to learn to live with. And what I tell my patients is accept into your life. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Um, but uh, I, I know I got a little off topic. That's this topic right. I'm passionate yeah, about. Absolutely. Which I'm so pleased to hear that because I'm equally as passionate about diabetes. And, you know, as a lifestyle medicine provider, echoing what you said is it, it's not just about controlling the blood sugar. Right. You know, the... Um, conditions that occurred to make you have high blood sugar or cause the high blood sugar also give you an increased risk for lots of other different things. And so we we can't just treat it in, in a box of, you know, can I get your blood sugar controlled? It's about making sure we get all of these different types of things controlled. So we do have a couple callers on the line that we're going to get to very shortly. Um, But just for anybody who may be confused with the term diabetes, like what, what does that mean? Well, essentially, it's when your body is either creating too much sugar or not creating enough insulin. Insulin is a hormone in your body created by your pancreas. And so what happens is the insulin comes out, it kind of tells the sugar to go away. Mm. And that 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 balance, they call it homeostasis, but think of it as a seesaw. That seesaw is very important to your body because if you go toxic on your sugar or have too much of it, it can cause all kinds of problems in your arteries, uh, in, in some of your organs, in your functioning, all these other things. Um, and it's been linked to Literally, I think most diseases mm-hmm. and diabetes have some kind of complex comorbidity, right. um, I, even even neurological ones. Yeah. And so it, it's it's important to keep that seesaw level. That is so key. And when that seesaw gets out of whack, you feel it. It's, yeah. sim- it's symptomatic. It'll you, you, you ain't going to not know you don't have diabetes, right? <laughs> yeah. So. All right. So we're going to go ahead and go over to the phone lines. We'll go to Pana Talk and Pana Talk and talk <laughs> with Patricia this morning. Hello, Excellent. Patricia. Hey, Patricia. Hey, hello. How are y'all? We're okay. What can we do for you today? Okay. I am a diabetic. Okay. Um, I've been a diabetic several years, but uh, I was on medication for a long time. And then I had a pseudocyst in my pancreas as big as an orange. Oh, wow. I went and took it out. And uh, so they... Tell me my enzymes. I wasn't producing enzymes, so they put me on Creon. Well, I took it for a while, and I got the aching just like I had the flu. All my joints and everything got the aching. And I called my doctor, and he said, well, go off it and see if it'll help. Well, I went off, and I seemed to help, but then I started having issues with my stomach. So I went back on them, and I stayed on them enough about two or three weeks, and I got that got better, but then I started aching again mm. just like I had the flu all over my body. I mean, it was terrible. So I went back off on it, and I'm feeling better. So I don't know what I need to take. i got to go back to my endocrinologist, but I was wondering if you could give me some advice of what, what would you recommend, or can you tell me anything? Well, so you, you have a few things going on, and then they're actually a little bit outside the scope of diabetes. Uh, so the, the pseudocyst you had was it was probably contributing some to some of your seesaw imbalance, first off. Um, then the removal... 
kicked in the need for some supplementary, like you said, digestive enzymes, right? Something along yeah, those lines. I'm insulin now. I have to take insulin. Of course. Well. And yeah. you'll, you'll have to do that for life, and that's fine mm-hmm. because you can manage that. Okay, that's that's a reasonable management thing. The insulin's very unlikely to be causing issues related to your GI tract. But you you have a second balance. So you have a second seesaw. It's like you got a seesaw on both feet. Okay, mm-hmm. um, yeah. and and you got to run that balance with your stomach, and uh, yeah. you know, creon's one option. There are others. Okay, uh, yeah. there are others, and the secondary thing is you really need to focus on what you're eating, and then how it impacts um, how your body works. So those stomach enzymes and those different things that are going on because of your issue in your pancreas have to lead to some different some different lifestyle adjustment and you might be eating just fine. I don't know, of course, but if you, if you aren't, that's an area for change. And then there are another, there are other medication options as well for you that your physician endocrinologist would be perfect, uh, can help you. Well, so sad. I just got where I could start taking my pills, you know, and and getting where I could get some samples and I'm had enough. So I could last me for a while now. Sure. I'm having this problem. But now, do you have to have the, the creon? I mean, do you have to have that fusion enzymes? I mean, you know, it's insane, or yeah, it just comes down to if you don't wind up taking those those enzymes, then you're you're going to be deficient in them, and that deficiency is going to mess with your body. And um, it's really what it's really you weighing out that risk and benefit. That's the choice you'll have to make. Um, you'll likely have symptoms in one way or uh, or unfortunately, it looks like uh, a, 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 a consistent adverse effect in another. Um, yeah, that's what it is. It's like if I don't take them, then I'll have yeah. problems like that's, going to the restroom several, four or five times a day. Yeah. Well, and that's, you know, what we're talking about are pancreatic enzymes for anybody yeah. who's not, you know, not yeah. kind of like, what they're talking about, Creon? Mm-hmm. You know, so the yeah. pancreas we tend to think about with insulin and glucagon and those types of things that regulate our blood sugar, but it also is responsible for releasing enzymes that help us break down our foods into right. things that we can use. In particular, a couple of enzymes like amylase, lipase, um, protease, those types of things that help us break down all the big macronutrients of food and help us absorb them and use them. And so people can have pancreatic insufficiency for a variety of reasons, whether that be um, from a kind of disease process like you've had going on. I see it a lot um, because I was a pediatric nurse, so lots of cystic fibrosis children who have pancreatic insufficiency. And so they have to supplement those enzymes because either the pancreas isn't making them or there's something preventing the pancreas from releasing them and so you know if we don't take them then we do have gi symptoms because the food is not broken down appropriately so you know with fatty foods you may see you know a um, fat in your toilet Mm -hmm. right or poop that floats and you know those kinds of things more cramping and that kind of stuff so they're a necessary part but kind of like what danny was talking about there are other options or maybe a different brand that Mm -hmm. you can try different things like that but really working with your physician to let them know that you know you're you're not tolerating them well and you're committed to finding a a different option there yeah i could tell the difference in my uh, digestive you know when I started taking them, sure, sure. I mean, absolutely. It helped that part. Yeah, absolutely. I would just ache. It's like I had the flu. I mean, yeah. I would ache all over. Just uh, terrible. Yeah. I mean, you would just feel like, goodness, you know, which was the best? Uh, supper with the others? Or what? <laughs> 
Just have a really good, frank conversation with your physician about the problems that you're having uh, and work together to get a solution because I feel like there is one out there for you. I agree. I agree. All right, Miss Patricia, thank you so much for giving us a call today. Appreciate it. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. I'm Dr. Josie Bidwell, Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine and Nurse Practitioner at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Thanks for listening to the Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit Podcast. If you have a question, you can email fit at mpbonline.org or leave a comment on my Facebook page, Healthy Habits with Josie. For ongoing information on staying healthy and fit, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. I'm Professor Richard Gershon from the University of Mississippi School of Law, host of In Legal Terms. If you're enjoying this podcast, I encourage you to listen to In Legal Terms, the show about you and your rights. We find interesting legal topics to bring to you and let you know how the law affects you. Find In Legal Terms on any podcasting platform on your smart device or on our website, inlegalterms.mpbonline.org. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. You're listening to Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit. I'm your host, Dr. Josie Bidwell. Joining me in the studio today, I have Dr. Danny Reich, and we are talking all about diabetes today. If you have a question or a comment for us, our number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one 672 7464 And we've got a couple callers on the line who've been holding for us, so we're going to get on over to Madison and talk with Steve. Good morning, Steve. Well, good afternoon, y'all. Hey, how are hey, you? I'm doing good. Uh, so about a year ago this month, I was um, diagnosed with type 2. Mm-hmm. And, um, um, uh, you know, just getting started, my doctor had me try this and that. And, sure. You know, trying to figure out where I'm where I'm at. Yeah, and, playing uh, the lottery um, with medicines. I get you. Yep. <laughs> yeah, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> well, I've since switched to a different doctor, and, and he seems you know, more aggressive about it. And I really sure. like his, his plan for me. Yep. Um, so I take uh, 1000 milligrams of metformin yep. at night and, and in the morning. Mm-hmm. And then I do uh, a Bazaglar in at night, mm-hmm. pretty much based on a sliding scale. Um, but I usually average around 36 units. Okay. And uh, my morning testing, I can't, I have a really hard time getting it under 160 in the morning. Sure, sure. Um, now, when I started off, I, before I started the Bazaglar, I was I was on the 70-30. And um, I've had now two doctors tell me that it's not very good, but it was keeping me around 120 in the morning. Sure. Uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm wondering if I need to, you know, make a Make a an adjustment. Go back to that. Um, and then about three weeks ago, I had to have my gallbladder taken out. Hmm. Well, that, that, that first week after the surgery, of course, yeah, man, yeah, it was, I was, I was struggling to keep it under 400. Yeah, yeah, sure, sure, sure. That's, you know, that's and, totally and, common. Yeah. So, so now I'm wondering, um, you know, am I on a good path? Uh, do I need to 
try something else. I know that I need to go to a dietitian, and um, and now with the gallbladder, I need to see a dietitian even sure. more because it's changed my diet also. Well, Steve, first off, thanks for calling. Secondly, I'm glad the gallbladder surgery wound up going okay, and you're okay after it. Um, Thank you. Next, uh, you are in an interesting situation. First off, sending 30. Um, I know I'm on the radio, but it's a terrible drug. Uh, <laughs> you didn't so, see, you can't see my face because this is radio. But I made a big face when you said seventy thirty as well. <laughs> in, in type, in type, in, it doesn't even matter. It, it's just a bad drug, and I'm glad you're off of it. Um, but by coming off of it, you did give up what's called postprandial control. There are sugar, there are sugar spikes that happen after we eat for about two to four hours, and in you, a brand new type two diabetic. What what the situation you're in is you've lost a thing called your incretin effect. Now, your incretin effect helps to take that sugar spike and taper it down. OK, the 7030 okay. was knocking that sugar spike down for you. You switched to a regimen that doesn't have any postprandial control. But my anticipation is you have elevations after your meals. Now, I didn't hear any sugars related to that. I heard the fasting sugars, the ones in the morning, but I'm, I'm going to presume you have some elevations in your after meal sugars. That's kind of. Oh yeah. 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 They can be anywhere from 250 to 300. During sure. The day. And so let's think through this real quick together. So if it's 250 and you're coming down uh, with your basic lars, bringing your sugar down consistently at the same rate and you added a piece to that rate, then the amount of sugar you have over a long period is going to increase, correct? It'll bring it up. And you don't have the ability in your body anymore as much to compensate for that spike. So my my conceptualization was would be I would start some postprandial agent in you at this point, and I think that would really get close to the results you're desiring. Now remember, sugar sugar levels at home are not our only outcome. We look at things like A1C and um, how the patient's going and hypoglycemia, but I think that that'll get you closer to what you want. Uh, it's, there there's probably a class of drugs that I would target. Um, GLP one inhibitors is is most likely. However, I don't know some of your statuses, including thyroid and weight. So uh, one of the other uh, classes is DPP-4 inhibitors, which they can just combine with your metformin. Um, and then you wouldn't take any more pills a day. It would be in the same pill. A combo pill. Yeah. And oh, okay. now, now I don't know. I don't know your A1C. I don't know your contraindications, your contra, your conflicting medications. There are a lot of things I don't know. So I'm not going to make a specific recommendation over the radio, but I think that a, um, you know, a, a well-versed physician, whether it be primary care doctor or certainly an endocrinologist can make this change and see what's going on in you to do the best thing for you, because that is the step that is next for you that you should take. In addition, of course, to maybe seeing a dietitian and talking about your diet. Now, that doesn't mean just cut out sugar because you, you're you taking insulin, so yeah. you need sugar. Okay, like that's right. those those right. concepts don't work together. Right. I, I, I hate when people just cut out sugar and then they go low and they fall on the floor and right. they break something. Right, okay. yeah, absolutely. Right. But, um, right. but I think that's the next step for you based on everything you're saying, kind of based on your history. And I'm glad that uh, you brought this up because this step right here is probably one of the more common steps that's happening in our type two adults in the five to 10 year period. So five to within five to 10 years of being diagnosed, this step right okay. here is a critical one. Yeah. I've, so for, how, go ahead. How, how long, how long should I expect to go through the stages of 
figuring out um, what's what's working for me, what's good for me. Uh, it shouldn't take any more than six to nine months. Anything more than that is just playing around. A little bit depends, though, on your insurance status because both of the drug classes I named are all brand names, okay? Um, so so a little bit depends on your affordability, okay? Um, I think, though, most insurances have at least one drug from the classes I named uh, available to you. The GLP-1 drugs are injections. They can be daily or weekly, actually twice daily or weekly. And the um, DPP-4 drugs are in an oral pill that can combine with your metformin. So honestly, you start one of those, and I think you'll probably see your outcomes within a three-month to six-month period. Great. All right. And if you're looking for a dietitian, you can always go to eatright.org. That's the site for the... um, Association of Nutrition and Dietetics and put in your zip code and it will show you the registered dietitians in your area. Okay, well, great. Uh, would I have to have a, a doctor's referral for that? Or you should not have to have a, a referral for that. But if you have any trouble, you can always send me an email at fit at org, And I know lots of dietitians that I'll be happy to get you in contact with. Okay, what's that, that uh, first uh, website that you said? Uh, Eat Right. So e e a t r i g h t dot org dot org. Okay. Well, thanks a lot. You're thanks, welcome. Steve. Thanks for giving us a call. Bye bye. Bye. All right. We're going to go over to Vicksburg and talk with DJ. Good morning, DJ. Thanks for holding on for us. Thank you. Hi. Hi hey there. What can we well, do for I you? I have a question about di- uh, type two diabetes. Also. Okay. I've been diagnosed about two. 10 years with type 2, um, I've been on um, glucophage or metformin. Sure, sure. Um, been taken off of it because I lost like 30 pounds. So I came off of it for two, three years. Congrats and, there. Yeah, gained, but gained the weight back. It happens. And I'm back on it now. Um, my, I got a couple of questions, but the first one is specifically about the metformin. I'm hearing some things about metformin that I don't like right now. Sure, what you got? Well, I mean, it's just that, you know, that it's, it's not good for you at this point. But I'm just wondering, you know, what's the, the risk with it? And um, is there something, is there a choice? Or, um, you know, I'm only taking 500 milligrams at night. Sure. And that's, and that's all I've ever taken. One doctor uh, increased it, mm-hmm. and um, she took me back off of it because it was doing too much. Okay. So I'm back to 500 only at night. And um, so that was that first question about the metformin. And then I wanted to ask about the progressiveness of it also. Oh, sure. Okay. Well, let me let me start by answering about metformin. I, th- of course, there are concerns to every drug and metformin has its share. Nothing relatively new, um, uh, but metformin needs to be used very cautiously and sometimes not used in people who have kidney problems. So I don't know your status there, but that's one. Um, there are other uh, situations like liver and heart failure that we, we have some cautions with or things that we want to watch out for. Also, when you get very elderly, of course, your kidneys start to decrease and we want to watch the metformin. Outside of that, the main side effect of metformin are really stomach related, like whether it be stomach upset or diarrhea. Uh, okay. And as long as you've been tolerating that, which it sounds like 
at this low dose you're taking, you have, um, yeah. I don't see a heavy amount of risk. I do, however, know that metformin, especially in people who have a BMI or body mass index, about 30, 35, and are adults mm-hmm. with type 2, uh, it, it helps to reduce things like microva- microvascular complications and presumably in versus insulin or sulfonylureas, macrovascular complications as well. And it, okay. it has the weight loss properties that might be something, uh, it's at least weight neutral, but mostly weight, lo- weight loss properties that might be something that interests you considering your history. So for you, I, I don't think I have much risk in terms okay. of that metformin at low dose. Okay. You've been tolerating okay. it for years. I think okay. we're good to go there. And I would recommend continuing to do that prescription uh, that you've been given for the metformin. Um, okay. I actually am a more aggressive person and I, I tend to bump my dose. So I, yeah. I would I'd give you that thousand back and move up. But of course, this depends on things like how are your sugars running, what your yeah. A1C is, et cetera. Yeah, well, it, it, it kind of it, it dropped and then I was feeling the jittery mm-hmm. with it. So that's why she bumped me back down because yeah. I'm also on um, a statin. Uh, sure, of course. Statin and, and an aspirin regimen. That's, yeah. that's perfect. Yeah, so I've been doing that. Um, however, I also heard that with the type two, that diet is a cure. You know that, and I'm I'm working on that too. But I mean, is that true? And how should my carbs be? Because I'm hearing about this keto, and it's like, no, oh. don't do the keto. No, don't do it. Okay. <laughs> So, <laughs> yeah. So, you know, now now we're in my wheelhouse and, okay. you know, so this is what I do on a on a daily basis is work with folks uh, from a dietary perspective as, as well as other lifestyle, because it's not just diet. It is it is right. your physical activity and your sleep and your stress and all those different kinds of things. Right. And, you know, when I first was trained as a nurse and then as a nurse practitioner, um, we kind of had this concept that, you know, once you had diabetes, like you would always have diabetes. And if we continue to eat poorly and not change any of our lifestyle factors, that's true. We're still always going to have it and we are just controlling it with, with medication, but with, you know, some, you know, fairly aggressive changes in diet, we can get folks down to where they, you know, don't necessarily have to take medicines and their blood sugars are controlled from that perspective, um, which is an exciting, exciting part to to be right now. And we normally think of it in terms of carbohydrates, right? But not all carbs are created equal. Fruit and Fruit Loops are not the same thing. Oatmeal and Pop-Tarts are not the same thing. So it's about balancing those things out and choosing healthy carbohydrates for us that are full of other things that we need, like vitamins, minerals, antioxidants, and fiber, and limiting things that are not good for us, which are your processed grains and added sugars and a lot of fat because fat actually increases insulin resistance as well which is making diabetes worse so um, you know it's kind of a quick and dirty uh, thing there about diet we've got a couple of um, podcasts posted that go into diet a little bit more especially as it relates to diabetes that you can find on our website Um, or you can always send me an email at fit at mpbonline.org and i'm happy to give you some more information okay Okay, sounds good. The other question was about the progressiveness. Does it always type 2 
Is that well, just how it's going to happen? Well, no, 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 that's a, okay. So, uh, what you're getting at, just for the audience, is some people who have type two, their their beta cells, which are the things that create insulin in your pancreas, they die over time, and that's what makes it progressive. You actually don't even have type two until your beta cells are to such an extent that they can't compensate for your sugar load. Typically, that's about fifty percent load if you want to think about it that way. So, okay. so by the time you got diagnosed, you probably had half your beta cells. Um, okay. Those beta cells do continue to progressively die over time, um, yeah. but to turn into a type one or what you would actually term double diabetes, um, mm-hmm. you'd have to lose your beta cells to less than 20% function. That would take many, many years. That would take a lot of uncontrolled um, functioning, and eventually okay. you would go on to insulin. Yeah. I have many, many, many type 2 patients for 35 years that do not uh, have that happen uh, okay. all the way for their course of their life. But the disease is progressive in that you aren't going to reverse and build those beta cells back up with any medicine, any diet, or anything you do. Okay. Um, and so diabetes is for life, but you can't have diabetes without the diet. So uh, <laughs> it's important right. to remember that we need to eat for our disease, eat for our medications, and do the best we can with our weight. And okay. I think if you do that, you're going to be okay, and you don't have to you don't have to work because I sense your worry. Okay, I, I hear yeah. it. Okay, yeah. you don't have to worry about ten years down the line if you do what you're supposed to be doing today. And okay. good luck on that weight loss journey. Thirty more, thirty pounds down, and you might be back in a situation where you don't quite have diabetes anymore affecting right. your life. Well, okay? that's what I'm gonna work on. <laughs> Excellent. All right, DJ. Thank you so much for giving us a call. I'm Dr. Josie Bidwell, Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine and Nurse Practitioner at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Thanks for listening to the Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit Podcast. If you have a question, you can email fit at mpbonline.org or leave a comment on my Facebook page, Healthy Habits with Josie. For ongoing information on staying healthy and fit, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. Hi, I'm Jason Klein from Fix It 101. If you ever thought about changing a doorknob or fixing a leaky faucet, some jobs just aren't that difficult, and yes, you can do it. If you want to find out how to do those things, listen to Fix It 101, podcast everywhere. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Thanks for tuning in to Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit. I'm your host, Dr. Josie Bidwell. Joining me in the studio today is Dr. Danny Reich, and we are talking all about diabetes today. We've had lots of great callers, and we do have a caller on the line, so we're going to go ahead and get over to him. But if you're contemplating giving us a call, now is a good time. Our number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one 672 7464. All right, we're going to go talk with Robbie in Memphis. Good morning, Robbie. Hey, good morning. Good morning. I have a question about A1C. Sure. Uh, four years ago, I was diagnosed with it. My number has never gone above 5.4. I was using raw organic sugar, and I stopped that and switched over to equal. Am I hurting myself with the aspartame? Well, well first off, I want to unpackage something here. Uh, what was your A1C when you were diagnosed with diabetes? 5.2, and it's never gone above 5.4. So that's not actually in the category of diagnosis for diabetes. I don't, I don't know. 
I don't know uh, if you maybe got poor information there uh, from even including a physician. But technically, um, if you're not above 5.7, you don't even fall into the pre-diabetes range. And 6.5 would be an A1C that would uh, mechanistically be diabetes. Now, you may have been tested sugar wise and Mm. uh, had had glycemic issues, but at a 5.2 uh, A1C, I, I would question if those glycemic issues persisted for you. Um, so I think more so if you were diagnosed with diabetes, you might have been done so on a, uh, a lab that you weren't fasting on, or perhaps that sugar, that uh, organic raw uh, you were doing contributed in the short term to right. to reading your labs as if you had diabetes and not continuing that that action has led to you not actually developing the diabetes because you clearly have the ability for your pancreas to compensate for your glucose load, which tells me you're not diabetic at this point. Um, and I, I think that's a good thing. I hope, that's that, a great I, thing. I, I hope you look at it as a good thing, but I, I wouldn't call you diabetic based on that limited piece of information that I have. Yeah, absolutely. So just like he mentioned, there's there's full on type two diabetes and then there's pre-diabetes, which is where we know there's some impairment in the ability of the body to uh, metabolize and use the glucose appropriately. And then there's there's normal. And so 5.7 to 6.4 is that pre-diabetes range. And then anything above 6.4 is actual diabetes. So sitting at a 5.2, 5.4, you know, I mean, that's an average blood sugar in the low 100, uh, 110, my, somewhere 5. like that. 5.2. And I, I, it's, yeah, I think, uh, I think, Robbie, you, you good to go, man. Now, in in the second part of that question, with the equal, um, is you know she loves aspartame. I do not love aspartame. (laughs) (laughs) So, in terms of uh, sweeteners in general, there's a couple things to think about, right? So, um, what are we sweetening? Coffee in the morning. Coffee in the morning, right? So a limited amount of of sweetener that we're adding, right? So, you know, any of the artificial sweeteners and added sweeteners in general, we shouldn't be using a large amount of them, right? We should be eating whole foods that are not messed with that much. Now, in terms of sweetening something up, you know, if we wanted to sweeten our coffee, equal and um, sweet and low, you know, the the blue packets, the pink packets are really the ones we definitely want to stay away from because we've got much more evidence on the negative health effects of, of those particular brands. Now, when used in a very, very small amount, it's probably not the worst thing in the world, but there are better options out there. So, you know, in terms of what it does to our gut bacteria, which we're learning more and more about how that impacts our overall health, as well as inflammation in the body and all that kind of stuff. Um, the one we, we kind of want to shy away from those really the only one that, um, I tend to recommend in folks if they're going to use an artificial sweetener would be like a stevia. Um, So that's more the green packet one. And there is a limitation to that as well on that. But I would recommend kind of kind of ditching the the blue and the pink packs. Um, And I'm not even I used to be a fan of Splenda or the sucralose, the yellow packs. I'm less a fan of that now, just as the literature is is evolving. Um, But right now, the best evidence we have pointing to is stevia in in small amounts as an as an okay um, use for an artificial sweetener. Okay, is 
on the 12th of March, I'm going to have about a foot of my sigmoid colon removed that's been massively inflamed for five years uh. that I was informed about from the previous GI yeah. five years ago. I think I'm just going to nix all sweeteners because all I do is sweeten my coffee in the morning and then I'm water the rest of the day. Yeah, and I I did the same exact thing. So, you know, I um, was a, a sweetener in my coffee and then I was an artificial sweetener in my coffee. And then, you know, as just more and more data came out, that was yeah. that's probably not the best thing we need to be doing. I ditched my sweetener as well. And, you know, it was it was different for a couple of days, but you give your taste buds about a week to two weeks and they adjust and adapt. Robbie, jo- Josie's been fighting the battle with sweet tea in the south for so long um that and it, it, you know it, it's a losing battle uh, no, but, but um but josie isn't going to give up and everything she said is amazing advice um and good luck in your surgery okay yeah one, one quick is half and half detrimental or is that okay so half and half is going to be a little higher on your fat content but i would rather see you use a half and half than an artificial creamer any day of the week because that's okay. not real food right that's a, some yeah. kind of processed stuff at all and has high fructose corn syrup and oil added to it. So, you know, I would love to see you switch maybe to, a, you know, a skim milk or something like that, but that's not the hill I'm going to die on. I'm no, going to let no. you have it. Look, I, I grew up on milk when I was like two, three, <laughs> four years old. I mean, I, yeah, no, milk fat's, milk fat's okay. Of course you portion, and it doesn't sound like you're doing much more than the morning coffee for yeah. the half and half. That's yeah. that's not not needing to be changed. Yeah, we're good with that. I'm Dr. Josie Bidwell, Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine and Nurse Practitioner at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Thanks for listening to the Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit Podcast. If you have a question, you can email fit at mpbonline.org or leave a comment on my Facebook page, Healthy Habits with Josie. For ongoing information on staying healthy and fit, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. Deep South Dining is the show all about the culture of Southern flavor. From fried chicken and collard greens to shrimp and grits and a glass of sweet tea. Subscribe now to the podcast using any podcast app or download our MPB public media app. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Thanks for tuning in. You're listening to Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit. I'm your host, Dr. Josie Bidwell. Joining me in the studio is Dr. Danny Reich, and we have been answering your questions about diabetes today, and there have been some great ones. We appreciate all our callers for participating today. Yes, indeed. Um, yeah, and we do have a couple more callers on the line, so I'm going to hush and go straight over to them so they have time to talk Let's with roll. us. Let's roll. We're going to talk with Debbie in Columbus. Good morning, Debbie. Oh, Good morning. My que- my question is, I just need for you to share your thoughts on the research, or if there's any research, regarding the impact of intermittent fasting on um, insulin resistance slash metabolic syndrome. I'll hang up and let you just discuss. Thank oh, you. Sure. Thanks, Debbie. Thanks. I, I'll, Bye. Yeah, I'll, I'll mention uh, intermittent fasting does have research um, for in type 2 diabetes, metabolic syndrome. Um, What it is, is you essentially go on, they're continuous and non-continuous, but you essentially go on, I don't know, two or three day periods where mostly you're doing uh, liquid intake of minimal carbohydrates. And then, and then you come back to what you would consider a normal 
quote unquote diet for you. Um, and uh, for for diabetes, there's been demonstrated A1C reduction, weight loss, as with most diets that people maintain that are healthy related diets like anyway they're they're about they're a boatload of them <laughs> um but intermittent fasting is interesting now uh the one caution area in type 2 and type, well type 1 probably shouldn't be intermittent no. fasting but uh in type 2 is if you're on insulin or sulfonylureas both of which have a higher rate of hypoglycemia you're not getting the carbohydrate load you need for that drug to be able to do consistent work and not cause hypoglycemia in you to a severe extent so in those patients we do not recommend and I would not do intermittent fasting Second thing is these studies for intermittent fasting. I, I mean, I think I saw a 40-week one in like three patients, mm -hmm. but uh, they're mostly 12-weekers. So we're talking about short-term three-month um, related intermittent fasting and its impact on a single A1C or something along those lines. Long-term research needs to be done to see if there is benefit over time or even cardiovascular benefit over time. I, I think if we lose weight, and we reduce our glycemia, then that's generically accepted as good. We have to do it in a safe way. And intermittent fasting, while safe in some ways, can be dangerous in type 2. So um, it, it's one of those that I would caution against mm -hmm. doing on your own, for, for sure. Absolutely. And uh, I doubt that many of the physicians are going to go ahead and just uh, carp lot recommend it. But uh, it may be right for the occasional person um, in their in their uh, middle age with type two who are not on insulin sulfonylurea. Right. And so I'll kind of piggyback onto that, that anytime you're thinking of adopting a, a dietary change, always discuss that with a medical provider. And if you don't feel like you're, they know what you're talking about or, you know, or kind of brush it off, then, you know, reach out to a dietitian, someone who's comfortable talking about those things. Now, from a science standpoint, there's something called a fasting, fasting mimicking diet that is out there um, that has been, you know, looked at more in animal models, uh, but moving into some human um, studies as well, and looking at how that affects aging and cancer risk. And then the term that I like better than intermittent fasting is time-restricted eating. And what that is is just shifting the your feeding window to a certain amount of time. Now, some intermittent fasting models follow that, like the 16-8, where you're fasting for 16 hours, eat for eight hours. Um, the caveat to that is it is you need a good diet beforehand or good dietary pattern beforehand. It is not that there are eight hours in which you can eat all the things and then lose weight. So we're not going to have pizza and cheeseburgers and French fries and ice cream and all those things. But if I eat them in eight hours and I fast for yeah. 16, I'm getting better, right? The principle behind a time-restricted eating is the change in your metabolic burn on when you're awake versus when you're sleeping, right? So... When you're awake, you tend to burn more calories per hour. When you sleep, that goes down. So, you know, it's the same principle behind not eating super late or eating a heavy meal super late at night and then going to bed because you don't burn through any of any of your stored calories, which is one of the ways we lose weight. You're just burning the food that you ate and probably not even all of that food if it was a super high calorically dense meal there. So in some folks that have uh, not brittle blood sugar issues and other other cardiometabolic issues, changing the feeding window may be helpful. But again, that should be done in conjunction with a medical provider who is familiar with that technique. 
All right. I'm going to hush on that and go see Sue over in Beaumont. Good morning, Sue. Hi, good morning. Hey, I'd Sue. like to make a comment about sweeteners. Uh-huh. For some reason, stevia has no sweet flavor to me at all. Wow. And uh, so I've used saccharin for, ever since I was diagnosed with diabetes. Mm-hmm. And uh, so far, no problem with that. But I noticed a lot of things now are sweet with sucralose. And I remember working in a hospital as a nurse. We used to use sucralose to induce mm-hmm. uh, it's like a laxative. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know if people know that. But that sucralose will, will give you a run if you let it, you know. Well, and usually anything that ends in the alls, like sorbitol, malitol, those types of things, those are sugar alcohols, which are not absorbed in the GI tract. So they get uh, kind of fermented mm-hmm. on by the bacteria down there and will give you gas and bloating and those kinds of things. Erythritol is one out there that's kind of a little bit more naturally occurring. It happens in things like pears and apples and those kinds of things. And it is absorbed and doesn't cause as much GI distress. Um, stevia is actually about... 300 times sweeter than sugar when you look at the lab models of it. Some people are more um, sensitive to the bitter aftertaste with stevia, and so they don't perceive it as being as sweet. Um, I will say check out some different brands because a lot of the brands that are sitting out there, if you look at it, the first ingredient is not steviana or rebiana which is the the plant extract. It's actually dextrose, so you're not really getting stevia. the, pretty much the only ways I've found to get kind of the purest form of stevia are in the liquid dropper forms of stevia um, oh, replacement there. I, I, just, I just don't taste the sweetness in it at all. Yeah. Well, who, you know, and there's nothing to be said about research on taste buds and its ability yep. to pick up sweeteners uh, and then doing that with the different types of sweeteners. I, certainly that's altogether possible. Yeah. I, I've seen weirder things in yeah, my life. Absolutely. Okay? absolutely. So, um, so that, that might just be the case with you. Uh, I think though, Josie makes a great point. Remember uh, moderation, um, watchfulness, portioning, um, and just using it appropriately uh, for what your disease is, is, is the step you need to make, uh, whether it's stevia or Right, sugar, or any of the right? other ones, it, right. Yeah. What yeah. do you think about the saccharin? I, I don't love it, my dear. You don't? Why? Well, just looking at all the available evidence that we have out there, doesn't do great things to our gut microbiome, so the little bacteria that live in there, as well as some of the... Um, carcinogen-like properties of it. So, you know, of course, most of those studies are consuming large amounts of these things. And so, again, that goes back to we shouldn't be using a whole lot of artificial sweeteners regardless of what kind it is. So if you're using, you know, a pack or two a day, probably not that big a deal. But anything more than that, I would would try to find an an alternative there for you. you. You're welcome. Thank Thank you so much. And that, you know, we're almost out of time, but I did get a a Facebook post this morning that kind of piggybacks onto that, asking about stevia and why I often recommend limiting the amount of stevia. Um, And that just goes to where the science is right now, right? And so Mm -hmm. the World Health Organization recommends about 1.8 milligrams per pound of body weight for stevia. So for, you know, a 150-pound person, that is about 10 packs of stevia is the upper limit of what we know is is generally recognized as safe in a day. So, you know, if you're consuming more than that, we just don't know what it 
what yep. it's doing to you. The science is not there yet. So, you know, if you're using more than that, then I would, you know, think about ways that we can at least cut back yep. on some of that to at least try and get down to the level that we are comfortable with in and, terms of the science in, right in, now. In Mississippi, 150 is a 14-year-old. Yeah, so, so you, know, you know, you can so, get a little bit more yeah, than that. Yeah, but but. Uh, 10 packs, it, it all comes down to the same thing, and it doesn't matter if it's a carbohydrate, a meat fat, a milk fat, or a, or a, or a sweetener portioning is so important paying attention to what's going into your body and making sure that you're not doing something in excess is so relevant to your disease state. this isn't just diabetes cholesterol yeah. high blood pressure colon uh, uh bones all of this plays a role just macronutrients and micronutrients um play a role in who you become at least from a medical standpoint um, and it's, it's just like if you're learning in school how to read or if you're uh, or if you're uh, learning something at the job, you become better because you are training in that area. Why shouldn't we be doing that with our diet? Yeah, uh, so same same concept. And it, portioning is very, very relevant and important as it moves forward uh, across the board. Yeah. And, you know, I like to say perfection is not required, but intentionality is. So we have to make intentional choices to reinforce our health and our disease processes that we have. But we don't have to be perfect because none of us are. It's just about making a better. Oh, oh we're not. Be- oh, OK. We're, yeah. I'm not. Oh, anyway. Uh, yeah. So it's just about making a better choice. <laughs> I'm Dr. Josie Bidwell, Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine and Nurse Practitioner at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Thanks for listening to the Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit Podcast. If you have a question, you can email fit at mpbonline.org or leave a comment on my Facebook page, Healthy Habits with Josie. For ongoing information on staying healthy and fit, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. Hi, I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, Professor of Internal Medicine and Pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. On the original Southern Remedy, we answer questions about all aspects of your health and share some of the latest medical information in the news. You can listen to the show on Wednesdays at 11 on MPB Think Radio, or you can subscribe to the podcast by searching for Southern Remedy on your preferred podcasting app.